Coming to you direct from the heart of New York City, all the way to wherever you are, you're listening to the VIP Jazzwall Report. I came across this quote the other day, and I want to share it with all of you. And here's how it goes. I believe that life is a journey towards God and that no one has the right to insist that you go a certain road. And this is such an appropriate quote for today's show because in today's world, there are certain people who think they have the God-given right to direct others towards God himself. But among their followers are people who are vulnerable, innocent, or possibly spiritually immature. And it is these very people who become the target of so-called spiritual leaders who offer not only the Word of God, but also a cocktail of abuse and pain, both emotionally and physically. Ladies and gentlemen, this show is about the ex-members of Grace Cathedral, whose pastor is Ernest Angley. News of unusual behavior emerged from an article in the news website Ohio.com and this show takes this story one step further in revealing personal accounts of what happened to some of the members in this pastor's care. I have three guests on my show today and I'm going to ask what happened to them, why they left, what they learned and what their message is to all of us. It's up to you to decide what to make of it all. Are they disgruntled followers, or just innocent victims in the house of God. We're going to talk. You're going to decide. My first guest is Pamela Cable, the author of Televenge, which is a fictional book, but I can bet you my bottom dollar that her book is based on non-fictional experiences. Welcome back to the show, Pam. Thank you, Vip. I'm glad to be here. How's the book doing? It's doing well, thank you. Good. Uh, my next guest is a young lady by the name of Layla Minaris, who's been attending Ernest Angley's establishment since she was a child, but suffered sexual abuse from a young age by her stepfather, who also happened to be a member of staff of Ernest Angley. Welcome to the show, Layla. Hi, thank you for having me. You're very welcome. And our third guest is Greg Mulkey, who attended Angelie's sermons from a very young age and then went on to sing in his choir, worked at Angelie's television studio, and did many, many other jobs for him. Welcome to the show, Greg. Thank you, Vip. It's good to be here. Thank you, all three of you. Um, it's going to be, I guess, a tough interview in terms of it reflects the sort of courage you guys have. My first question is to you, Pam. Mm-hmm. Give us a brief account of Ernest Angley and what his mission is, if he has sure. one. Sure, sure. Um, Ernest Angley was born in Gastonia, North Carolina, uh, in 1921. He was well in the in the late 40s and in the 50s. He traveled with his wife, conducting revival meetings around the country, and then began his ministry in Akron, Ohio, in 1954. Um, he built his church, Grace Cathedral. Um, I believe, on the backs of the volunteers and their many offerings, and continued to grow his congregation, all while starting his television ministry in 1972. Mm-hmm. Um, in 84, Ernest Angley bought the offices and TV complex owned by Rex Humbard, and in 1985, Angley's television station, WBNX, began broadcasting. Shortly afterward, he also purchased Rex Humbard's Cathedral Buffet restaurant, and then in 1994, he re- relocated his megachurch after buying Humbard's Big Round Church in Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio. And that is where he operates from today. 
uh, attracting thousands into his sanctuaries and tens of thousands over the airways and in his foreign crusades. Um, in August of this year, he turned 93 and told his congregation he's not planning to die, but will go by way of the rapture. Um, and and however, what is rapture? The rapture of the church is uh, the second, when Jesus comes back to gather his bride. Um, many Christians are very much aware of what that would mean. Um, however, in 1996, hundreds have fled his church with similar horror stories of um, forced abortions, vasectomies, families being torn apart and shunned, um, unreported child molestations. So he's running some sort of a medical clinic, it seems. Well, yeah, it seems. And uh, Angelie, by his own admission, asking men to uncover their genital regions so he can, quote, check them for swelling, unquote. Many um, declare him this country's biggest false prophet since Jim Jones, and that is why we are here today. I want to ask you, and I'm going to ask each one of you, but Pam, tell us a bit about your story. Sure. I'll give you my short version. Um, I was raised in church, basically cutting my teeth on the back of a church pew, Um, My parents took me to Grace Cathedral when I was little. In uh, 1972, I was married to a young man in the church. I was 17 years old. Shortly afterward, my parents had enough of Angelie and left the church. But by that time, I was married to it, um, as my husband was from one of the founding families of Grace Cathedral. I stayed to keep my marriage together and became trapped um, with my first pregnancy, um, I was called into Angelie's office where I was told, with a smile, uh, to consider giving my baby back to God. All of this, I mean, this was a long time ago. All of this began to weigh on me, but I kept it all to myself. After all, we were supposed to be married to the work of the Lord first and foremost. As the television ministry took over in, 90, or in 1976, Uh, The year our second child was born, my husband was hired as a full-time employee on the ministry team, which took him away from the family for long extended periods of time over many years. Well, I never had the money or the time to go to any of the crusades, but I did attend a crusade in Hawaii in 1982, where we hoped to celebrate our 10th wedding anniversary. And when uh, I was there, I discovered none of the ministry team was permitted to stay in the same hotel rooms with their spouses. He separated us. Um, This was a huge red flag and the beginning of the end for me. I began asking too many questions, rebelled against the manipulation, and skipped too many church services. Um, I wanted my children to have a normal childhood, play sports, make friends, go to college, and basically have the ability to make their own choices. But I wanted to keep my family together, and my husband was very much involved in the ministry. The long years of fighting for my husband was a constant tug of war, and in the end, it would have been easier to fight drug addiction or alcoholism or even another woman, but there was no fighting a man's concept of God. So Angelie told my husband that he had had a vision from God and saw my husband drop into hell should he leave the church to go with me, and that was pretty strong. And so after a 17-year marriage, the tug of war ended, and I lost. I lost everything. And then he proceeded to demean and discredit and pretty much demonize me and publicly call me a dark angel. So it it was so over by then. Now, when he asked you to abort the first child Mm -hmm. and you said no, 
well, I didn't say no right away. I, you know, I, I went, went away thinking about it because he was the man of God. I mean, we, we, everything he said, we thought came from the Lord himself. So, okay, so you didn't abort, though? No, of course but then not. Then how was the, um, how was his reaction to not obeying his order? Um, he never really liked me much, um, especially after uh, he knew I wasn't going to um, do to, to follow his instructions by the letter. Um, he never said a whole lot. Um, I don't know how he reacted to my husband at the time. Um, but you could that, tell that you weren't yeah. one of his favored. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, because I, I do remember sitting in a service, it uh, wasn't long after that, that my sister-in-law was sitting right next to me, and he specifically talked to me in the service about how I had not obeyed the voice of God. And my sister-in-law turned at me, and we'll never forget this. She and I talk about this a lot. And she grabbed my hand and she said, how can you still sit here? <laughs> right. So I, I, I knew that he was, you know, that he was angry with me for not doing what I was basically told to do. So, okay. Thank you for that. Layla, you have a story. Yeah, hi. Okay, um, well, my story starts, um, I started attending Grace Cathedral when I was six years old. Um, my, I came from a very dysfunctional family. It was full of abuse, uh, molestation, rape, um, and this happened by one of the members, uh, my stepdad, he still attends there. He's one of the ushers for Ernest Angel still. Um during the time I was there, my parents uh, started going through divorce when I was 12 years old, mm -hmm. and there was a huge custody battle that happened, and that went on for almost two years. Um, and during that time, uh, when I was 13, I, I started noticing a lot of weird stuff from my stepdad. Um, and, uh, for instance, you know, he uh, he started walking around our place um, in just his underwear and I would a lot of times see stuff. I would see his um, package, and then um, I, and so and then there was other times where you know I'd be really upset because um, during this time my mom had ended up leaving the house one day with my little sister, right. and it was because uh, it was very like I said very abusive. Um, there was a lot of times where my stepdad would drag my mom by her hair down the stairs. He'd punch her. He would choke her out. And I remember one day um, I could hear my mom screaming, saying that uh, she, he wasn't going to kill her children, that he wasn't going to harm us. Um, so, uh, so like I said, one day she was gone um, and had left, and she had um, tried seeking where she could go stay with someone because uh, we didn't, we were the only family. We didn't have any other connections, and people from the church uh, denied it, like wouldn't let her stay with them. Right. And this was instructions from one of the pastors, Bob Hoffman, uh, that was there at the time, and he told the other followers not to let my mom stay with them uh, because the spirits that my mom had would unattach from her and attack them. So the church committees never helped you. Um, no. Uh, you brought you uh, brought the attention of the sexual abuse to Ernest Angley. Yeah, 
during that time when my stepdad had started coming into the bedroom, um, at first he would just lay next to me um, and hold me. And then um, a little time passed by that, and that's when he started raping me. And at that time, I knew that was wrong, and I did go to Ernest Angel about it. Directly? Uh, we had a meeting. Yes, okay. yes, directly. And I uh, was in his office, and I told him what happened, and he wanted my stepdad um, to then come in because he wanted my stepdad to hear what I had to say, and he wanted to hear Frank's story. That's my stepdad. So we all went into his office one day. So and, there was Ernest, um, yourself, and your so-called stepfather. Yes. Okay. Yes. And um, uh, so um, my stepdad basically did admit to it. He um, he didn't deny any of it, and he said that he was just very stressed out, um, that I was rebelling a lot. And so Ernest Angley led Frank to what they call the sinner's prayer mm-hmm. and forgave him of his sins and... Um, and then he proceeded to speak in another language, my stepdad. So during that time, Ernest Angel turns to me and he says, you know, this, this is an incest, right? He's not your biological dad. So, um, you know, you ha- and he starts saying you have to be careful because the same spirits that your mom has, um, they always are falling by you and wanting to cause um, mischief and war between you and Frank. And he would love, the devil would love nothing more to make a word between you and your stepdad. So let me get this Um, right. Let me get this straight. You go to Ernest, you tell him of what's been happening. He calls your stepfather in. You three have a talk. Your stepfather admits to this. um, And then it becomes your fault because you have your mother's genes. Yes, correct. How convenient. Um, and, and then uh, you, you, your stepfather speaks in a, in a different language, and apparently some sort of a sinner's prayer goes on, and then Ernest tells you that this is not incest because right. you're, you're not related. Right. And, and he also told me that I needed, since I was getting older, I needed to represent, represent myself in a certain way. I, I needed to be ladylike um, and, you know, be careful how I conduct myself around my stepdad, especially since he wasn't my real right. biological father. So effectively, he makes you feel at fault. Oh, I did feel at fault completely. Yeah, okay. I did. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Um, and I'm going to get back to, to to your side of the story soon. Greg? Yes, sir. What's your story, sir? Well, my story is uh, it's a story that where I had to finally leave a church that mm. made the pulpit a spectacle, really by showboating the minister, kind of like a game show host would announce an Elvis Presley concert. Right. The congregation would stand up, and they would give him a 10-minute standing ovation. And later on, I learned that I had to leave a church where young men who were my friends were pressured into getting vasectomies before marriage and then would have to report to the pastor and be examined and checked for swelling. And I learned other things while I was there. I had to run from a church where young married women were mentally, emotionally, and spiritually bombarded by the pastor into agreeing to have abortions. He would tell them if, if they didn't have the abortion, the baby could very well be born deformed. 
that maybe birthing the child might even kill them. Mm. So you can imagine the emotional stress he put people through. And this, uh, this is my opinion, but this is what happens when a man of God becomes a monstrous man. You know, what I find very challenging to believe is how can you have so many people that fall in a trance or be hypnotized by this guy? Did you ever, I mean, when you're watching this, because obviously you're seeing it from a different perspective, you seem to see reality. Mm -hmm. But what is it that he's doing that, that captivates the mind and soul? Well, he uses uh, the, the, the weakness that we all have as men that, that we are lazy at best. Mm-hmm. In other words, it's easy for um, a man to ask the man of God or the perceived man of God or the right. perceived voice, voice piece of God, what, what, should, what should I do with my life? What does God want me to do with my life? Rather than pray, read the Word of God, and ask God and do the do your own homework for yourself. And when you end up giving away all your ability to reason, you no longer can distinguish between right and wrong, and you cannot use common sense anymore. So he's taking advantage of that sin called sloth. I believe so. Okay. I want to ask all three of you this next question. Think very carefully. What and I'm going to start with Pam. Uh, what if Ernest Angley was to defend himself today by saying that you all are just disgruntled followers? Pam. Well, Vip, as you know, um, accusation perceives you as guilty, mm-hmm. whereas confession perceives you as innocent. Um, it is my opinion that he has um, confessed only what he feels he needs to confess. Um, all of a sudden, I think there is some real good PR strategy going on there. His um, his silence, um, in a way, um, because uh, endears him uh, further to his followers. About the only thing he has said is that we are all liars, and he has uh, called us. He has called us actually what you said um, a, a, a small band of recent disgruntled defectors. When in fact. We are decades of people, hundreds, who have recently come together for support, telling uh, what they've been through at the hands of Ernest Angley. And I'm certainly not recent. So. And where are all these people gathering, on, on like, say, on, on, on uh, the digital platform, on the Internet? Mm-hmm. Where are they all going? Well, there, uh, there is a, uh, a Facebook website, mm-hmm. uh, Survivors of Spiritual Abuse, that is a uh, closed group, but it, it does... Um, support many um, ex-Grace Cathedral followers, and there is a meeting that is held, a support group that is held every month um, for disgruntled um, followers, I guess you could say. But um, it's more than that. I mean, we're certainly more than disgruntled. Like I said, we've gone back many, many generations. Um, there are a lot of people. It's just not just a few that he, that he thinks that it is. Um, so... I want to talk about his approach to all of this sensational stuff that's been happening because it tends to be uh, a silent approach. And I want to see the significance of that. But before I get to that, Layla, if I was to play devil's advocate or better still, Angelie's advocate, or maybe they are one and the same thing, um, what if he accused you of being a disgruntled follower? Um, 
I, I'm not disgruntled. I wouldn't consider myself disgruntled at all. Um, in fact, what happened was, is like Tam said, when we had the group, when we all start, we all tell our story, what happened, people that I actually grew up with, I found out um, things had happened, some of the exact same things happened to them that happened to me. So then we all started thinking, you know, all, if all this happened with us and we grew up with each other because, mm-hmm. you know, you didn't dare ever talk about this stuff with someone else. Because um, we were already labeled demon possessed and stuff. Well, how many other kids might be suffering or going through the same thing that we went through? So it's it's not about being disgruntled. It's about standing up and and doing the right thing. And what if the devil's advocate was to say, "What's your motive for being on the show today?" Um. I just want to tell my story uh, and get it out there and and hopefully maybe even if another person who's there, a child or another person who experienced what I have, that they'll come forth with their story and maybe be able to get the justice that they deserved. Great. Thank you. Greg? Yeah. Are you a disgruntled follower? Yes. Um, that's There's truth in that statement. And Ernest Angley has a way of giving little truth or little half-truths. <clears throat> but uh, I am disgruntled follower, and I'm disgruntled follower of the man of God, which he calls himself. Right. But I'm not a disgruntled follower of the God of man. I'm still a believer in the house of God. Mm-hmm. I'd like to answer that, too. Right. Uh, my motive for being here, um, for many uh, within the walls of his church, um, Ernest Angley is nothing less than a rock star. Um, his uh, influence is far-reaching and, and certainly not easily shaken. Mm-hmm. Uh, but people leave there, leave there battered and broken and bruised and their lives just nearly destroyed. I've, I've seen it too many times. Families just torn apart and literally children or parents never speaking to each other again because one side has chosen Ernest Angley over their families. Um, they think they've chosen God, but in fact, uh, God is the creator of the family and not the destroyer, which destroying families is what um, it seems that Angel is all about when folks decide to leave his church. Um, I so know is, is the solution to stay there rather than leave him? His solution? Mm. Yes, yes. I, I know a woman today who weeps every time she talks about her son because even though they live in the same town, he's not spoken to her in over 13 years all because she left the church and left it for good reason. Um, what was her that, reason? Um, well, that's that's her own private reason, and okay. I'm not going to talk about it here. But, but that's my motive for being here, to stop this kind of devastation. Some are so distraught after leaving Grace Cathedral, they end up leaving their faith altogether. And he loves to throw that into people's faces. I, I'm tired of the fear people carry around because of him. The manipulation and control that he has perfected over these 60 years, I'm fed up with watching people come out of there so hurt and shunned by friends and family that they've left behind. And I can't even, I haven't even talked about what happens to the children. I I think we're going to touch on that more even next week. But we've got to stop doing nothing and start doing something because that is what starts to change everything. And I think that's important to keep in mind. Greg, why do you yeah. think it took you so long to break free, or why did it take you so long to do nothing? 
Well, as far as to speak up about the things I knew that were going on there, mm. it, it took a while for me to come forward because you can imagine the sensitivity of the information I knew about my friends, certain people who had stayed there, certain people who had left at the same time I did in 96. Mm. And uh, it's sensitive information. Only now that some people have left over the past 18 to 20 years have come out and we have found each other and reconnected and they've told their stories not just to me but to others, is the reason I can speak now. So you're getting strength by numbers. Correct. And um, unfortunately, it's, it's, it's a brotherhood of people who have been hurt and damaged, as Pam alluded to. Is he a very powerful man in society? Greg? Does he have a lot of money? Yes. No, no. Uh, is he a powerful man? Like, does he have a lot of influence in town? I, I believe he does. I believe he does. And, I, and uh, he has a... He has built up a character that uh, he has been able to build up a character and a persona of the man of God and then the meek little humble shepherd boy all at the same time. And no one's ever questioned him. No one comes against him. But see, not everyone knows these stories and all the truth about them. Leila, what took you long? Um, well, actually, um, in my case, um, I had a, um, this had been taken to court, and um, the judge and the documentations on it, and um, you took who to court? Really... Sorry, you took who to court? Um, well, your stepfather or have... Ernest? Um, more, it was against my stepfather, but yes, Ernest Ainsley was a big part of it and being mentioned. Um, like I said, during the custody battle. Mm. All this stuff was brought up with the with the rape and the abuse, um, and like I said, there's documents, and um, and uh, none of it became anything. Right, um, Pam. Well, if you ask me why I've taken so long to come forward, mm. I didn't. Um, <laughs> yep, I didn't. I I I came forward a long time ago. Um, I I've carried this burden, this this torture freedom for uh, over 25 years for justice to be served here. Um, I, I talked a lot about my experiences to a lot of people, never ever mentioning his name until now, um, until those, the articles from the Akron Beacon Journal came out. I never mentioned his name. But um, I also wrote a novel. But when I left in 88, there was no social media. You can't fight this by yourself. It wasn't until social media brought so many of us together, sharing our stories and finding old friends, like Greg had mentioned, that fear was replaced with the diligent to get the word out there about what was going on here in Akron, Ohio. Uh, and finally, Bob Dyer, the reporter for the Akron Beacon Journal, who decided to investigate the multitudes of people who were coming to him with their stories, um, this was the break we needed. Now, um, can I add something? Yes, Leila, go ahead. I, I also wanted to say, um, during the time when the whole court proceeding was happening, um, and my mom was trying to bring to light the stuff happening that Ernest Angley knew about, mm -hmm. and my stepdad, my Ernest Angley had actually given um, my stepdad their own personal lawyer uh, for the custody battle, and my mom had put in over six thousand dollars into the, the case, and my stepdad didn't have to end up paying one cent for it because he was given the lawyer. Um, that was Ernest Angley's personal lawyer. Wow. Well, you know, if if this guy's done so much damage, and, and Pam, I just want to ask your advice on this. Mm -hmm. um, 
why is his establishment still in existence? I mean, I went on his website. Mm -hmm. They're planning Thanksgiving prayers. Nothing on his website addresses these allegations. And, you know, let's get back to the uh, PR perspective, the mm -hmm. public relations perspective. Mm -hmm. um, he's either, the strategy seems to be two things. Either do not respond mm -hmm. or just do a blanket confession. Mm-hmm. And this whole thing about examining male genitalia. Mm -hmm. um, again, you know, uh, I'll say it again. Mm. Uh, accusation pre perceives you as guilty and confession perceives you as innocent. Anyone who knows about PR knows that. Right. Um, I think, um, like I said, there's some real good PR strategy going on. His, um, his, his being silent really... Um, just his followers just, you know, eat that up, you know, because, you know, he's done nothing wrong. He doesn't need to say anything. He doesn't need to explain it. It, it makes these stories that the three of you have given and the other hundreds or thousands of stories come across like gossip. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, because the very that. fact that he ignores them, mm -hmm. it comes across as gossip. And, and that, that's a brilliant PR strategy. Mm -hmm. Could I add something there? Of course, Greg. Well, you can if you look at uh, the timeline of Ernest Angley in 1984 mm. in Munich, Germany. Ernest Angley was arrested in Germany and charged with practicing medicine without a license and suspicion of fraud. Now, it stands to reason to me that uh, the examination of vasectomies and the suggested abortions would fall under these charges. Don't you think? I would think so. Now he uh, wrote a book advising. He wrote a on... book about it. He wrote a book. He wrote a book about it called Cell 15, and has sold I don't know how many copies. But he made himself out to be a hero, and that's the PR strategy there. And, yes, I wouldn't be surprised if he'd write another one about us before he passes on. So, I want to ask um, the three of you, do, do you know people who are still supporting his establishment, going for prayer and believing in him it, it, from a point of view where you can have a, if possible, a rational conversation with them. Uh, I'm trying to, what I'm trying to get at is why are they still there? Pam, do you know anyone there that you speak to? No. <laughs> no, okay. no, they Once wouldn't you're out, you're out. 10 feet of that place. <laughs> Layla? No. Layla, you? Um, no, uh, no, I don't talk to any. I haven't talked to anyone who attends there for years now. They, mm -hmm. And they would be instructed not to talk to anyone anyways that's left because we're de we're considered demon possessed at that point. So it's total control. And Greg, well, I, I would I do not talk to anyone there, but I mm -hmm. do know that uh, from people who have been in and out of there that I've been in contact with, it's it's all about fear. He's he has, you know, he preaches love in the same sentence. He'll say, you need to be the first to love. You need to be the first to forgive. But if your family who has left here calls, hang up in the same sentence. And they accept that. Duped. Have they ever tried to get you back to church? Pam? Oh, gosh, no. They wanted me gone. <laughs> so the, the the concept of forgiveness doesn't exist in that institution. No, nah, no, they they claim it does, but believe me. But it, I thought the Bible doesn't. focuses on forgiveness. It does. Mm -hmm. 
but not but not in uh, Grace Cathedral. No, it's it's uh, he has his own gospel. It seems where he interprets the scriptures in ways that. So there is no grace in grace, huh? No, <laughs> not in my not in my opinion. No. Layla, have they ever tried to get you back? Um, actually, yes, they did. Mm. Um, when I was uh, seventeen, I um, had at least probably twenty different people who would go on walks with me, call me, um, just have supper with me, trying to tell me I needed to come back. I needed to come back before it was too late. Um, and my mind was completely taken over by demon possession. And actually a week, um, before I, I had had it and, um, I had ended up getting shipped to Iowa. Um, Ernest Angel called my home phone himself and my stepdad was the one who had originally answered. And when he handed me the phone, I said, who is it? And he wouldn't tell me. So when I got on the phone, immediately I heard Ernest Avery's voice, and he said, hello, this is your spiritual daddy on the phone. Mm. And um, as soon as he said that and I heard him, at this point I had had enough, and I, I didn't want anything to do with it, so I hung up on him, and that really upset my stepdad a lot. Do you think he was trying to get you back in order to make sure you cover up your story? Um, I absolutely do. I you know, um, I, yeah, I do. And here's why I say this, because, Pam, you sent this to me yesterday or the day before. Mm-hmm. Um, in the state of Ohio, any time a person has cause to believe that child abuse has occurred, this information must be reported to local or state law enforcement authorities. Right. And, and, and what you sent me said, a mandated reporter is someone required by law to report if they suspect or know that child abuse is occurring. Uh, a list of mandated reporters for Ohio includes people like attorneys, audiologists, child care workers, children's services personnel, and clergy. Right. Among others. Uh, so I'm wondering... Because, Layla, you said that you spoke with your stepfather and Ernest in one room. You explained to him what was going on. He said it's not incest. Okay, you want to get technical, but let's get technical. Um, It's child abuse. It's unwanted sexual contact, so there's rape. How old were you when you were there? Um, When I when I attended, what do you mean, when I was there? When you went to see uh, Ernest and your stepfather. I, I would have been 14. Okay, so you're still a child. Right. Mm-hmm. So, in a way, Ernest has actually committed a criminal act. Yes, he has. There's lots of stories where people have been molested, and they went to the office, and mm-hmm. they told him in hopes of him doing something, and he always turns it around to where it's actually you. You're the reason. And Okay. Greg. Yes. You still have contacts? I have uh some distant friends mm-hmm. that uh, that have contacts there, so but I don't uh speak to anyone. Normally if someone sees me uh because of the positions I held there, they see me from a distance and turn and run the other way. But nothing in the town that sort of gives you a sort of through the grapevine what's happening and things like that. Uh, just, uh, no, 
I mean, ju- just that, uh, you know, it's it's gotten worse since I left. That's the overall sense that I've gotten. Can you explain that, that, how it's gotten worse? <clears throat> well, in 96, it wasn't so overt that, uh, you know, uh, people would leave all the time over a 60-year period. You can imagine once they realized that they could talk to God for themselves. And uh, since 96, when it was a, it was like a mass exodus of 300 or so people. Uh, Why was it a, a mass exodus? What happened? Well, there was an associate pastor there that um, I don't, I don't exactly know what the riff was between Angley and a longtime associate pastor, but he ended up leaving, and he would always say, "If I ever leave here, you'll know something serious is going on." Hmm. Well. We we were so weak-minded at the point that when he left, um, we had just had enough. So many of us unknowingly at the same time stepped away at that same time and then later found ourselves and regrouped and realized uh, we had done a good thing for ourselves. And we always felt bad for the people that were there, but over the period of time, we we did hear things and 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 other people coming out, and it just seemed to keep getting ramped up, ramped up, ramped up, to the point now where he's uh, he's having them sing songs about your one more step, one more step, and then you're you blasphemed the Holy Ghost or you've blasphemed God, and you'll never never be able to be forgiven again. Uh, that's that's bizarre. It's a very sort of voodoo, witchcraft-like scenario going on that you're describing. Yes. Uh, he has perfected his craft, to say the least. And how many years has he been in this business? Pam? He's been um, in... He started uh, in Akron, Ohio, since in 1954. Mm. So his ministry um, really is a 60-year-old ministry. 60-year-old ministry. Mm-hmm. And, and I always say that we've really in the last uh, few months as we've come together on social media we've just basically scratched the tip of all of this but you know something tells me this is not coming across as scandalous as one would expect and and that's what i'm having trouble i mean um i'm searching the web and and um yes there are all these reports and things like that mm-hmm. but it's not spreading like wildfire. This is a six-decade-old institution and establishment. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of dissatisfaction happens whether, you know, you, you have a company, you have disgruntled employees, mm-hmm. whatever. But the reason for being disgruntled or the reason for dissatisfaction is so major. Right. Uh, it's not a church's place, out of all things, to be talking uh-huh. about vasectomies, to talking about abortion, uh, Church is the last place to be talking about removing or splitting up families. Mm-hmm. I think that um, the country by large has mm. just become very um, uh, immune to a lot of religious uh, stuff uh, right. that comes out. I mean, we've had how many pastors have you know been brought down uh, over the past you know 20 some 30 some years um due to scandal in one way or another and i think we've just become hardened to it um this is another one unfortunately um this has been going on even longer than what was going on you know uh with swigert or um jim baker 
uh, or any of the other ones that have that you know that um, the scandals that went on there. Mm. I think I think in Angelie's case, you know, we've we've got um, serious things that have happened that have gone on that really need to be looked at, and um, uh, you know, he's not he's not out there um, in everybody's face. He's he's very subtle, and that's that's the um, that's the danger here. Leila, I wanted to ask you something. Based on everything that's happened, do you still have faith in God? Um, no, no, I, I don't. Have you been that put off by your experiences? Um, basically, what I feel is, um, you know, when you're getting raped and you have a man on top of you, mm-hmm. and at this time I was still, my faith was in God, and I'm a child, and I have my eyes closed, and it hurts, and I'm praying in my mind, begging God to help me, begging God to make it stop. And, you know, I was raped more than one time. It's not just that one time. Mm-hmm. And I, I prayed numerous times, and nothing happened. Uh, it made me kind of lose faith that maybe he's not as powerful as people said, or if he even exists. So then if someone was to ask you, where do you get your strength? Where do you get your inspiration? Where, what do you look for when you're looking for faith? What, what, what do you believe in? How do you answer that? Um, well, there's other ways. I, you know, I meditate. Mm-hmm. I have done yoga. I exercise. I've talked to therapists. And I, I have a, a really good support system. So... There's other means where um, what keeps me going positively, um, it's just not through faith or through religion. It's it's just more um, through the power of the power of your own mind. And like I said, meditation is a wonderful thing, and it, and it's really really helped me. Do you think maybe in meditation you're doing some sort of a prayer? Um. I, I don't really do it that way, but it could be. I, I just do it more where you're clearing your mind. Um, no, I don't have an issue with your like, answer. I'm just trying to get clarification. I I don't personally do it that way, but maybe others do. Right. But are you, a, then do, if someone was to ask you, are you an atheist, what, do you say yes, or do you say, well, no, I just don't believe in anything? I, I've had people ask me that, and uh, I, I don't consider myself an atheist. Mm. Um, I just I would say probably I just don't believe. I believe there is a higher power, but I don't know exactly what. Right. Okay. Greg, a few questions for you, and I think you addressed some of these, but I really want to go deeper. Um, Do you have faith in God being one? Do you have faith in the house of God, and do you have faith in the man of God? I do. I do have faith in God. Mm -hmm. I still believe in his church. I still have faith in the house of God. And... uh, I, there are many good preachers. There are many good teachers. Mm-hmm. I do have faith in the man of God, but I had to I had to learn a few things before I could get to that place. I I had to learn that really, number one, everything that Ernest Angley taught me about who the the essence of who God was was a lie. Right. It was only first that I could do that. Then you know God's not some big bully in the sky waiting for me to make a mistake and then throw me into an eternal hell. But That's did you have to refresh your whole perspective on God I once did. you left? 
I did. I had to come to reason that, you know, the true God mm. was not a lie for me and that I needed to seek him for myself. Right. So in that process, I made a covenant with myself to never again let another man determine what kind of relationship that I would have with God. Yeah, because I, I'm of the belief that my relationship God with God is, is one-to-one. You mm, know, I don't need yes. a group of people around me uh, to tell me when to pray, how to pray, and under which roof. I agree. Um, Pam, mm-hmm. three questions mm-hmm. to you, my dear. Mm-hmm. Do you have faith in God? Oh, absolutely, yes. I wouldn't be here today if, if I didn't. <laughs> faith in the house of God? Um, I don't belong to any church. I, I doubt that I ever will. I, I still believe in the Christian faith and covenants that I was brought up with from my from from before I ever stepped foot into uh, Grace Cathedral. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents were always good, good Bible-believing people. Um, I come from a very uh, spirit-filled um, household. Um, I believe the great plan of redemption belongs to us all, that, right. his, that his mercies are truly renewed every morning and that he never turns his back on us no matter what anyone preaches from their pretentious pulpit. Um, so um, as far as the house of God, um, I know that there are a lot of good pastors and, and uh, you know, teachers and mm-hmm. prophets and evangelists that are still out there um, that have not done anything like what, what we have experienced um, but um, for me, I have I have learned to um, talk to God on my own, and that's where I think He wants me right now. Layla, what's your message to our listeners? Um, my uh, message would be just that, just because um, not having a belief or. Um, Maybe not having a strong hold in God, it, it doesn't make you any less of a bad person. Mm-hmm. Um, I think once maybe someone endures what you have, especially on, on that level of abuse, uh, it, it does um, change you. It does take someone to understand. Um, I would never wish that on anyone ever, not even my worst enemy. Right. Uh, it just changes your perspectives a lot um, in life. But it doesn't make you. I I know it doesn't make you a bad person at all. You just you decide where, how you're going to use your experience and what you're going to do. You know, I can't imagine your pain, or uh, and that applies to all three of you. Um, and I'm not going to pretend to. But Leila, I find with you, I think the encouraging thing about you is that you, no matter how much pain you have, you can still find peace within yourself? Yeah, it, it took a long time. I was a very angry teenager, especially mm. when all that was happening. Um, but um, I, like I said, I, it's all about the support I've had um, because growing up, you know, I, I have had support there. But you also do a I, lot to yourself, like in terms of meditation. That also right, helps. Right. Well, I I ha- I have to do that. If I don't, it's very easy to focus on the negative right. and and become angry and bitter and sad. Um, and I've also learned it's okay sometimes to cry, and it's okay to get angry. Mm-hmm. Just you know, don't let it consume you. Right. We're coming to the end of the show, Greg. What's your message? Well, my message would be 
do not ever give away your ability to reason to the point where you can no longer distinguish between right and wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes you just have to stop and combat nonsense with common sense. Right. Pam? My message is everyone deserves unconditional love. No uh, individual should settle for less, really. And for those who have left a manipulative church or thinking about it, I want them to know that no matter how desperate their circumstances, they can come out of a dark place and into a life that is calling their name. At the very least, I don't think anyone should be afraid to live a fearless life. And um, it's it's time people started to ask questions um, uh, make sure that you know it's it's up to the people in the church to um, ask questions to their past at, to their pastors and um, find out you know just exactly what's going on if if they do have questions and they shouldn't be um, held back from that. Well, to all three of you, on behalf of the listeners and myself, thank you for sharing your stories with us, guys. You've shown great courage uh, in the face of adversity and and the pain in your lives. And you know what. You, 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 three of you truly an inspiration for me. So thank you for coming on the show. You're welcome. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Viv. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Your comments and your followers so very welcome on my Twitter account at Vip Jaswell and my Facebook page, The Vip Jaswell Report. A special shout-out of thanks to my wonderful team, William Sanchez and Rick Buser. Please do visit foxnewsradio.com for my complete library of shows that cover a variety of topics which impact our lives. You'll definitely be spoiled for choice at what I have to offer. Think of it as a candy shop for your ears. I'll be back next Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern with more fascinating stories that fill our lives with the inspiration and information we so need to kickstart the week. I wish you a wonderful evening tonight with your family and loved ones. And until next Sunday, have a productive and a very happy week ahead. 